So this morning, we are continuing on with our series, uh, How God Changes Everything. We began a few weeks ago uh, during Easter when Jesus died and rose again. We began reflecting on how that changes us. We talked about how that changes everything and and how God heals us. We talked some about how God restores us. And then this morning, uh, actually last week, we talked some about how God picks through the garbage of our lives. And you heard Diane allude to it in her talk as well about how God takes the garbage of our lives And if we will stay low and continue to rely on him, he will redeem us, he will restore us, and he will renew us. This morning we come to the end of the series. This morning is the last in the series of how God changes everything. For those of you who have heard all these series, the whole series, each sermon in this this particular series, this April series, good job. Been here for everyone. I know that's not easy. With things happening in life, I want to encourage you. It's good to be a part of it. But also, too, we all wanted to come back to this reality that when Jesus died and rose again, he gave us a people to belong to. That when Jesus did that, the moment we believe into him, we belong to the renewed people of God. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we belong here. You belong here because you are a royal priesthood. As we'll read in here in a moment, you are living stones. Metaphorically speaking, as Tracy pointed out to the kids. We are living stones, but we are built together into a spiritual house. And this week I'm giving thanks personally, as I've been studying this passage and thinking about you, some of the things that you've been working through, I'm encouraged. I'm giving thanks. I'm giving thanks because I feel it more as we live in a culture that is increasingly disconnected, disconnected from our neighbors. I mean, how many of you live next to people and you barely know them? Or they've moved in or moved out. And it's hard to keep track of who they are. Not only that, we live in a society where we focus more on consumerism than we do on community. I was thinking about the, the age-old practice of barn raising. People don't raise barns anymore. They don't gather their neighbors together to build something. Today, we hire contractors to do it. We pay somebody to do it. I was thinking about it too, about how social media works to disconnect us from one another. As cute as those cats are playing the piano, (laughs) they separate us from people. We spend our time looking at our phone or looking at the computer or the iPad, and we are disconnected from people. And it can be deceiving because you think, oh, I'm talking with all these people, and there is a bit of connection. We have to admit there is some. But the face-to-face, the personal, the interpersonal connection with people is less and less. And so this week especially, I have been thinking how grateful I am for this family of God, for you, this family. And I know it's not always easy. Trust me, I know. It's difficult to be in a family. Not everybody thinks the same way I do. Not everybody does things the same way I do. Sometimes people who mean well, they injure me. They hurt me. 
But I am grateful for this family. And I'm grateful for you and the stories that you have shared with me, the things that have been going on in your life, the struggles you faced, the times we get together to pray or to share meals together or to watch our kids together. I am grateful for this church family. And I'm grateful for you and the ways that you care for me. The times when you have sent me notes or given me cards to encourage me. I am grateful for this church. I am grateful for the ways you have cared for our family as well. This week, I've been giving thanks to God. But I'm also increasingly thankful, again, as I said, as I look at the world around us. It's getting tougher to be a follower of Jesus. In our culture, the way things are going, Christianity is about the one thing that you shouldn't be. And it's true, there have been, uh, we have brothers and sisters who have done and said ugly things. And we get lumped in with all of them. And that's not fair, but it is the way it happens. And as our culture becomes increasingly intolerant of us, it's going to be harder. And it all makes me that much more grateful for you, this church family, that we can gather together, we can praise Jesus together and encourage one another. Many of you feel this too, as I've talked with you. I mean, on the one hand, we all want to belong. We all want to belong somewhere. Some are here this morning and need help. You're a part of this church because you need help with life. Life is difficult. Some of you are here this morning because you are good at helping people. Life comes easier for you. And you have lots of ability to help others. Both of us, both groups, those who need help and those who are good at helping, need a community to gather in to help one another. I think also, too, that as I've talked with you, you are feeling this increasing rejection. Some of you feel it more at a social level. You hear about the things that are happening in the news or things you hear about, and you hear um, how this, our culture is moving further and further away or isolating us as Christians more and more. The way we see the world, the things that we think are right are no longer right. The things that we think are wrong are now right. It's confusing. And we keep getting pushed further and further to the side. Some of you feel this. Many of you have mostly Christian friends. As you've been following Jesus for a long time, your friends have sort of become, you found that most of them are Christians. And so, Um, most of it happens at a social level. You hear it in the news or in stories. But some of you, some of us, have numerous friends who aren't Christian, and we feel it at a personal level. We can feel the tension when we talk with people. I feel it when I talk with my friends and I'm trying to carefully navigate social values without stepping on things, like blowing up, like where they're talking about human sexuality or... Is Jesus really the only way? Is that, is that what your religion teaches? All of these things that are really difficult to talk about in our culture today. And so I realize that I don't fit. As much as I talk with friends and I want to, to encourage them and to be a good friend to them, I realize in certain ways I don't fit. But I also know that some of you here this morning feel it even more personally than that. 
Some of you are here and you've made sacrifices to follow Jesus. You have friends who don't call you friends anymore. You have friends who don't want to spend time with you. They've essentially abandoned you. They've rejected you. The more you talk about Jesus, the less they want to spend time with you. And you've been thrust into this family, this family of God. And we look different and we talk differently. But I want to encourage you. Because even though we look differently, we all share one thing in common. Well, a few things in common. One of them is Jesus. And the other is that because we follow Jesus, we are less accepted by the culture around us. The culture around us rejects us. We all have that in common. So the big question that we are coming here this morning asking is, where do we belong? As followers of Jesus, where do we belong? Where are we accepted? And how has Jesus' death and resurrection changed it? How has Jesus' death and resurrection made this the place where we belong? Well, thankfully, the early church asked this same question. The early church was asking these same questions 2,000 years ago. We're not the first. We won't be the last. Thankfully, we've had faithful brothers and sisters who have gone before us, and they show us the way. You see, in the first century, to follow Jesus meant that you had to leave your old life behind. your social circles. It often meant that the shop that you worked at, the people would, would stop, they would boycott your, your shop or the business that you ran. Your family would often disown you because you became uh, a religious uh, deviant. Politically, uh, in the Roman Empire, if you weren't worshiping Caesar, then you were an enemy of the state. All these things came into play. It was difficult to be a Christian in the first century. And it's into this sort of situation that Peter writes to the church, churches of Asia Minor. He writes the text that we have this morning. If you would open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 4 to 10. <clears throat> it's also in your bulletins if you'd like to, to read it there. I just wanted to encourage you that this bulletin, I know it looks like our old bulletins, actually it's a sermon guide. And if you see here, there's lots of room to take notes on what we'll be talking about today and at the back. There's reflection questions for later this week as you reflect and read this passage to suck everything we can out of God's Word. But let's read this passage together. So this is what Peter writes to the churches of Asia Minor. He says, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they, were with, sorry, what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray that we would hear this word for us this morning. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your word through Peter and the words that he spoke to the church 2,000 years ago and the way they continue to speak to us today. Help us to hear it by your Holy Spirit. Amen. So through his death and resurrection, Jesus has given us a new place to belong. And it all begins with Jesus. He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. This comes from verse 4. It says, he is a living stone, which Tracy talked about with the kids. It's kind of a weird thing to say, a living stone. Seems like an oxymoron, right? But see, this is a first century metaphor. Because then uh, they, built, they built their homes or their houses or buildings out of stones. It was masonry. When I was in India, I saw this. There weren't uh, concrete foundations with wooden uh, two-by-four construction walls. It was built by stone. So this is saying that this is using a common image of how things were built in Jesus' day and in Peter's day. And it says that Jesus is this precious stone, this elected stone, this chosen stone, trying to get at, trying to help us see that Jesus isn't just some part of the house. He's the most important part of the house, the foundation the cornerstone, the stone that sets the direction, sets the, the angles and the plumb line for the whole place. But not only that, but the stone is interdependent because if you have a house made of one stone, it's not going to be very big or very useful. But a home, but a home or a house built with numerous stones, all interlaced, all interwoven, is a powerful, is a strong building that serves a purpose. But not only that, so not only does he have the image of the way things were built in his day, but it's also this image had been used for centuries in the people of God. The people of Israel had used this image of a stone, a cornerstone, a capstone, to talk about not just God and God's people, but specifically about the Messiah. Psalm 18, we'll talk a little bit about this. Psalm 18, Isaiah 8, Isaiah 28. They all refer to this stone, this chosen stone, this precious stone. And actually, if you look in your passage right here, if you look at this, it says at um, verse 6, it said, and, and I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him. Interesting. So he's talking about stones, but then he says the one who trusts in him. And it wasn't long before the people of Israel began associating this stone, this capstone, with the Mashiach, with the Messiah, with the Savior. So Peter takes up this old image, uh, or this, this common image of a house being built out of stone, and this ancient, or ancient image from Scripture to help us see to understand who Jesus is. Not only is he the stone on which the house is built, he is the stone. He is the Savior that the people of God have been waiting for. And it says that Jesus was rejected by builders. He was rejected by them, but chosen and precious to God. God has taken the world through his Son and split it in half between those who have received him and believe in him and those who reject him. 
this image of God taking this cornerstone, this capstone, and dropping it right in the middle of the road. And so there's only two ways to go. Receive him or reject him. Respond to him or refuse to follow. Psalm 118, Isaiah 28, Isaiah 8. All these things say that Jesus is this stone. But the important part here is that Jesus was rejected. Jesus is this amazing stone. He is this chosen stone, this cornerstone that the whole house is built on. And yet people rejected him. The builders rejected him. And I think it's important to see this, that Yahweh knew this would happen. The Lord God knew that this stone would come and that he would be rejected. God is not surprised that Jesus was rejected. I know we get surprised. We think, why wouldn't you want this in your life? Why wouldn't you want this grace, this belonging, this hope, this eternal life? Why wouldn't you want this? It can be surprising to us that people reject it. But the thing is, it's not that we shouldn't be surprised on the one hand. And God is not surprised. Because he knew that some would choose his Messiah and others would not. That Jesus is not rejected in spite of being the chosen stone or the living stone. He is rejected because he is the living stone. Do you see that difference? But because Jesus is rejected doesn't mean that he did something wrong or something didn't go according to plan. That's the reality of being the Savior. That's the reality of being the Messiah. Some would accept, some would reject. That's part of being a Savior. Well, the thing is, this whole passage, actually, is called the chiasm, but you don't need to worry about that. But essentially, it works like this, that Jesus is the living stone. In verse 4, it says he was rejected by the builders. It says that he was chosen and precious at the second part of verse 4. And then it says, you are living stones in verse 5. Verse 6 says that, again, it quotes Isaiah, um, Isaiah 28, saying that he is the chosen and precious to Yahweh. Verse 7 quotes Psalm 118, that he is rejected. And verse 8, a stumbling block, quoting Isaiah 8. So Peter takes all these three references in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, and knits them together to help us see who Jesus is. To help us see that he is the foundation of this church that God is building. But here's the key. This is the thing that if the, the structure, the way this looks, is that there is a point, and it's the center. That's the part that's most important. That you are living stones. We are living stones built into a spiritual house, framed by the identity of Jesus above us and below us. This is the reality of who we are. You guys are all smiling. Does it sound like it's pretty exciting out there, right? I know what they're doing. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I'm pretty excited about being built into a spiritual house, all right? No. <laughs> so we are being built into living stones. Because Jesus is this living stone, we are living stones. It says it right here in verse 4. 
or sorry, verse 5. That Jesus' identity as a living stone shapes our identity as a living stone. And like Jesus, some will reject us. As much as they embraced him and rejected him, some will reject us and some will embrace us. And we feel it. It doesn't take too long. It doesn't take too long for people to know you're a Christian to feel it. Some of us feel it at a social level. Again, as the culture and the values of our culture go one direction, as we as Christians go another. But some of us feel it at a personal level with friends who avoid us. I say, I can't believe that you're following that Christian stuff. The thing is, the rejection is not a sign that we're doing something wrong. The fact that we began following Jesus and people begin to reject us is not a sign that something is going wrong. It's not a sign that God is abandoning us. It's not a sign that God is punishing us. It's actually a reality that things are going right. The reality is following Jesus means that people will reject us. It's hard, but it's true. But I want to encourage you to take heart and trust in him. Because it says in Scripture, it says that we will never be put to shame. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, Jason. I don't know about you, but rejection feels pretty shameful. When we have friends who we've been friends a long time and they don't want to spend time with anymore, that feels kind of shameful. And I don't think Peter is saying that we won't endure shame for some time. I think he's saying that ultimately we will not be ashamed. That one day the tables will turn. One day people will see who Jesus is. We all will see who Jesus is. And those, those of us who have followed him, we will be encouraged. And as those who do not follow him, they are the ones who will be ashamed at the decision they made. But the truth is, Jesus is this living stone. And we are living stones. Verse 9 talks about it. Verse 9 talks about it that says that you are a chosen people. Peter goes on to explain who we are, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now, I could do a whole nother sermon on this, just this one verse about what this means for us. Trust me, I won't. But... We do need to say this, that these are the words, this description, as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, these are the words throughout the Old Testament that were used to describe the people of God, Israel. God has grafted us into his people. We are part of the renewed people of God. Once we were not a people, but now we are people. Peter quotes Hosea, another one of the prophets, and he says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You are the people of God. Let that sink into your life. Yeah, see, Diane, yeah. We are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are the sort of realities that change our lives. 
I know that these are words, but when we take these words and we accept them, when we start to live out of this truth, it changes us. Jesus' identity forms our identity because of who he, who he is shapes who we are. Because Jesus was rejected, we will be rejected. Because Jesus is exalted, we will be exalted. Ultimately, we will not be ashamed, even if we endure shame for the time. But here's the cool part. Our, our identity as living stones reveals our purpose. It says we are living stones. It doesn't say that we're scattered around the field. It says we're built into a spiritual house, brought together for a specific purpose. We are built into a spiritual house. We're not heaped up and just thrown into a pile, nor are we scattered all over. We are built into a spiritual house. And if you look at this, this image of these stones, a couple things I was thinking about as I was working on this week. One is that, are all those stones exactly the same? No. All sorts of different shapes and sizes. And are they all in nice columns and rows? No, they're interwoven. You can see how the mortar works through all of it. See, on the first hand, you think like, wouldn't we all want to be exactly the same? But look at how this building is strengthened. If all the stones had the same joints, that's harder to make it strong. But when they are interwoven, when the joints overlap, that's what builds its strength. The fact that we are all different is part of our strength as a church. The fact that there's not nice, neat columns and rows actually adds strength to the building. The fact that the pieces interlock makes the structure stronger. It supports the whole house. As we follow Jesus, we join him in this church building. But this becomes a place that upholds you and a place where you uphold others. These stones are interlocked, that they support each other. In one way, relying on one another. In one way, supporting one another. And in, the one, in another sense, receiving support from the others. This is a place where you belong. This is a place where you become part of a bigger picture. God's redemptive work in human history. This is the reality of who you are as living stones. Some of you might be here this morning and you might be thinking, you know, Jason, I hear what you're saying, but I don't feel so supported. And I've been thinking about it, wanting to say that this, I've been wanting to say this specifically this week. If we have let you down as a church, then let me on behalf of our church apologize to you. If you are hearing me talk about how much we belong here and you feel like you've tried and you still do not belong, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, these, like this mess of, of different sized stones, we come with flaws. As a church, we still struggle with how busy we get. 
We get so busy with stuff that we, we forget to take time to care for one another. Not only that, but as a church, as people, we struggle with our own selfishness. We might have the time to help one another, but we think, oh, I'd rather do something else. If we have let you down, please forgive us. I'm sorry. But I also have to say this too. That we have to be connected to this church family. If this church has let you down, do you have a realistic expectation for what the church would do? How this church would support you? Have you joined into the work of the church? Or do you remain on the edges? Because I've seen that. I've seen people who have come to our church and have said, you know, this church talks about how much they care for people, but they don't care for me. And yet that person comes like a couple times a year, or maybe once a month, or doesn't join into what the church is doing. If you come casually, it's hard for the church to care for you. If you come once in a while, then don't be surprised when you don't come for a while and no one calls because they're used to you not coming regularly. Or if you've come, there are some people who have been a part of our church, and this is a part of being a church, is it draws people who regularly need help, who view the church mainly as a place where they can be helped, not as a place to contribute or to help others. It's not healthy for you or for the church. And some people have come into the church and they've put up walls. There's been times when I've tried to meet with people and they said, no thanks, I'm good. It's hard to connect with people when they say that. If you want more connection in this church, if you're feeling like you're struggling, then I want to talk with you. Let's set up a time. Let's talk because I want to encourage you. If we need to, I want to apologize. And if we need to, I want to encourage you to join in this church. I want to assure you that you all belong here. Not because of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done. But here's the thing. Belonging always means leaving something behind. Some of you have left behind friends, family. A few years ago, before I was a pastor at a church, I worked at a telecommunications company. I was traveling all over the world. And I left that behind to follow Jesus. Friends and family, people that I cared about, who as I followed Jesus, I realized that they showed up less in my life. And it cost me. This, real, this week I realized that I've always kind of focused on the people that I've gained and the friendships and the relationships that I've gained as I've followed Jesus. But this week, studying through this passage, I was thinking some are realizing that there were people who, who the more I followed Jesus, the less I saw them in my life. But following Jesus means we always, always means that we lose something. I mean, I got to talking with some friends this morning before we started. I have people in my family who think I'm crazy. You know, Jason, the whole religious thing is fine, but like, do you really 
have to like devote your whole life to it, I think I'm wasting my life. The thing is, following Jesus means that we lose. We lose friends and parts of our old life, but we also gain this family here. People who've lost as well. People who've given up and sacrificed to follow Jesus. People who care about you. This church family here. This morning, I want to encourage you that you are joined in the people of God. You're a part of something bigger now. Something important. Something eternal. You're part of the kingdom of God and what God is doing in this world. Careers and friends, they come and go. But the kingdom of God is eternal. The family of God, these are the people that we will spend eternity with. This morning, as I'm looking at this church, I'm reminded that we are living stones, joined with other living stones that reach around the world, Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. And we are part of a church. You realize that these stones, there's not just one line. They're built on top of each other. We are built on 2,000 years of faithful followers of Jesus, faithful living stones who have gone before us. And all of that is built on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. He is the basis for all of it. This morning, this is the good news that we belong here. You have purpose here. You are the people of God here. Oh, no. This morning, I want us to live. I want us to live belonging to this church family. I want us to embrace this reality, to grab hold of it and not let go, that you belong here. Not because of what you've done or how you've earned it, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. And there's two things that I want us to do. I want us to belong. I want us first to rely on this church. I want you to rely on the church. Test us. Try it. I know for some of you that's really difficult because you have people, really important people in your life who have let you down. You trusted them and they let you fall to the ground. And sometimes it is hard to rely on the church. It's hard to rely on other people, period. Especially when difficult things happen in your life. Maybe you're ashamed of it or embarrassed by it. Maybe it's really painful to talk about it with others. Or maybe you're afraid. I'm asking you to trust us with it. And I, I'm going to be real with you. There will be things that we might bobble. We might not get it right. We probably won't get it right 100%. But we will care for you. So rely on this church. Now, I'm, I'm no mason. <laughs> My wife can attest to that. But the strength of this church lies not in the fact that you have stones that are holding up a bunch or holding up a group. The strength of this church relies, or lies in the fact that each stone 
rests on the others. They let their whole weight on the stones below. That's what adds the stability. That's what adds the strength. Not that you have super stones in there holding up the whole thing. No, it's the, it's the weight of everything resting on one another. That's what makes this building, this church strong. So rely on this church. The second thing is this. Contribute to this church. Rely on this church and contribute to this church. Find some way to contribute. Whether it's quantity of time, you just show up. When something's happening, you're here. Contribute, Or it's quality time. When someone needs help, you're there. When it really matters, you're there. Find some way to contribute. Because we live in a culture right now that does not contribute. We live in a culture right now that are consumers. They view everything like, what's in it for me? We need to kill the consumerism in us, especially when it comes to the church. That we are here to receive help, but also to help and bless others, to contribute to this place. Now, when I say contribute, I know our, some you might be thinking, okay, Jason, how much money are you talking about here? I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about contributing our time and our talent to this church. Contributing ourselves to this church. Because I want to tell you, I promise you, that if we will commit ourselves, if we will contribute to this church, we will be amazed at what God will do among us and in us. You will see amazing things happen if you will rely on this church and if you will contribute to it. Imagine what God would do. Think about it just for a second. Imagine what God would do if we relied on each other and contributed to this church just even a, a little bit more. That if we took this church and rather than one of the many priorities that we have in our life, that we put it near the top. I'm not saying the top, I think that's God and family, but near the top. Imagine what God could do in us and through us in this community. Imagine the amazing things that would happen here. Imagine how people would see the way we care for one another the way we hold each other up, imagine what they would see and how they would praise God because of that. They would give God glory for that. Imagine how pleased Jesus would be. He gave us this command, love one another. This command I give to you, that you would love each other. Imagine how pleased he would be. Imagine what it would be like to be cared for by this church family because we were caring for each other more. Imagine just for a second how good it would feel to be cared for and at the same time know that you were caring for someone else. Stones interlocked. Imagine just for a second how amazing it would be to belong to this church. To feel like you truly belong here. It comes by relying on this church and contributing to this church. By joining in by not holding back, but joining all in to this church family, that we would be built together. I'm telling you, Jesus has changed everything. Through his death and resurrection, you belong here.
Amen.